Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and today with me is Dr. Eric Cole. And I'm going to set this up for the listeners. I was just saying before we started recording, it's really hard to introduce someone with the level of expertise as Dr. Eric Cole. But I'm going to reel off a few highlights from what I've found going through your content, Eric, and looking at some of the podcasts that you've already recorded. So you've got 30 years of network security experience helping organizations curtail the risk of cybersecurity threats. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, you're author, you've authored seven books on cybersecurity. Are you still at that number? Uh, yes, and I actually, uh, in two months, I have my eighth book coming out, so that number will change in the future. <laughs> I know that you're a speaker, um, an entrepreneur, and um, you've worked as a, I don't know what to call it because you've had a number of different roles, but you've worked in the realm of cybersecurity for companies like the CIA, Lockheed Martin, McAfee, and a bunch of other Fortune 500 companies. And since 2005, you've been working as the founder and CEO of Secure Anchor, providing consulting services in this area of cybersecurity. I couldn't ask for a more reputable guest on this topic. And uh, just to introduce the topic today and what we'll be talking about, we will be talking about, which is really interesting right now and really timely, how to stop yourself from getting hacked at home. And this is all based around a guide that you've just released, which I'll link to in the show notes for our for our listeners called the Work From Home Cybersecurity Guide. So thanks so much for joining me. And um, is there anything that I covered there that I missed out that's of high importance that you think people should know about you? No, I think you did a great job and it's a pleasure to be on the show. And the 10 second intro I usually give is I started off as a professional hacker, learned all the vulnerabilities and decided to switch my career to focusing on security leadership and helping chief information security officers and individuals make cyberspace safe. 
Oh, that's amazing. That's a really great snippet as a as like a fast paced intro. I like that. Uh, it's really hard. Uh, I can't remember as we were just saying just before I started recording. It's it is really hard to introduce someone with the, your wealth of experience. And actually, as I was thinking about this topic today and going into this episode, I thought actually a really good place for me to start and something that I'm personally interested in is I want to know in in thirty years you've seen a lot, and I want to know. Back in the 90s, when you started out this in this career path, did you ever anticipate to be living in a connected world like the one we're living in today? So being honest with you, for, for that question, I would say probably yes. I mean, I, I always envisioned future, believed in uh, cell phones, the internet taking off, e-commerce and things like that. But yeah. what shocks me is while technology has dramatically changed, I was just talking with my kids and their friends last night about not having cell phones when I was in college and using typewriters. Uh, so the technology has drastically changed. But what terrifies me is the security vulnerabilities and holes have it. If you go mm-hmm. back to 1991, the two most common ways when I was a professional hacker that I would break into systems was either servers missing patches or individuals being tricked or manipulated in an email to clicking on a link or opening an attachment. Well, in the year 2020, if you ask me what are the two most common exposure points, it's servers missing patches and users being vulnerable to phishing attacks. So it it sort of puzzles me that the technology has changed, but we're still fighting the same bad behaviors on trying to secure and protect our systems. Wow, that's really interesting. So uh, that was another area of interest to me because with the development in ch- technology in a in an industry or a field that you're in, there's, there needs to be, I assume, a really high level of commitment to self-development and learning because you constantly, it, to, for me, as I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about it's kind of catch me if you can. For every new vulnerability that opens up, you've got to be alert to that vulnerability and you've got to stay ahead. Is is that uh, is that assumption correct? Is it this kind of a field where you're constantly learning and evolving, and there's just no time to sit back? Yeah, that that is spot on. I when I train people and teach people, I call it the ninety day rule, which essentially means is every ninety days you need to relearn uh, cybersecurity. Now, the good news is some of the tactics and methodologies of not clicking on links and protecting your endpoint and prevention is ideal, detection is a must. Those still hold true. But when you look at how the attackers are breaking in and how to protect and secure, if I stepped away from this game for 90 days, I would have to start from scratch because as you said, the catch me if you can or the leapfrog is attackers are going to break into systems. We don't like that, so we on the defense side are going to figure out ways to stop them. If it ended there where we could stop the adversaries, then hacking and cybercrime would go away. But the adversary, what are they going to do when we stop them? They're going to find a new way to break in. And what are we going to do? Find a new way to protect them. And they're going to find a new way to break in. And we're going to find, so it's this constant game that no matter what we do, they're going to adapt and adjust the cyber criminals, which means we as cyber defenders have to continually adapt and adjust or we fall behind very quickly. As you're talking about this, you, you talked about cyber criminals and cyber defenders. And it's funny because I was thinking, coming into this episode you are kind of the modern day superhero so you might not be able to fly i assume you can't who knows you can do a lot of things but um in this in this day and age this in terms of the threats to society to humanity 
I know that data breaches are up there as one of them, as one of the, uh, the most critical. And so really, you're right there. You, you, t- you described yourself as cyber defenders. That's such a, a great way of describing it because it plays out like a comic book strip in my mind where you're always trying to stay that one step ahead. And actually on that note, so you talked about the, uh, I've forgotten the phrase that you used, but the 90 day, what was it? I call it the 90-day rule of learning. So if you step away from cybersecurity for more than 90 days, you're sort of starting from scratch. The that, That's the bad news. If you in constant learning, I love to always learn. I read at least one or two books a week. So to me, I love it and it keeps me ahead of the game. But the nice news is any listeners that want to get into cybersecurity, yeah, there is some foundational information and knowledge, but but literally you study and understand how the attackers work for 90 days and you're up to speed with a large percent of the people out there. So it's not a huge learning curve to get into this game, but then it's a huge learning curve to stay in the game. Hmm. And actually from the from the hacker's perspective, that's something I'm interested to get because I think for the, the most basic person on the street, they might have a maybe a general awareness of cyber security and that you have to uh, protect yourself from hackers because otherwise it means maybe they'll take your credit card information or maybe they'll take some personal information and post it somewhere you wouldn't expect. But what I'm really interested in, we talked a little bit about your development over the 30 years. Have hackers uh, on the hacker side, have they become more sophisticated over this 30 years? And do you think their motivations have changed over this time? So what's interesting on the sophistication is it definitely peaked at around 2010, 2011. But since then, the skills have dropped or gone down. And the reason is simple. Our systems have gotten so complicated and we have focused so much on functionality that a lot of companies have lost sight of cybersecurity. And the reason is simple. The only way you can achieve 100% security is if you have zero functionality. So this concept where companies or executives or individuals say they want to be 100% secure, that only exists if you give up tech. If you have a cell phone, if you have email, if you have websites, if you're using apps in a digital world, you will not be 100% secure which means the adversary always has the upper hand. It's an unfair game because we're always going to have vulnerabilities and exposures, which means the attackers can always get into our systems. And over the last 10 years, we've started putting up so much technology that now the number one way that attackers get into systems, as I mentioned earlier, is servers that are accessible from the internet missing patches that contain critical data, or users carrying around two terabyte hard drives on their laptop, and they have all this sensitive data, and they get an email that looks legitimate, they click on a link, one click is all it takes, and all that data is exposed. So we're seeing a huge increase in the attack vectors because there's so much technology, we're actually getting sloppy. In 2010, And 2011, systems were patched, users were locked down. And if you wanted to get into a system, you had to work really hard and create what we call a zero-day exploit. That's no longer true today because of all the exposure points. And then the other question you asked was, is their motives changing? Mm -hmm. And absolutely, in the last three to four years, most of the motives of a large percent of attackers are financially driven. 
Yes, you still have some nation states that are trying to break in and steal corporate secrets or proprietary data from the government. But I would say 85 to 90% of all the attacks we see, you see it with ransomware, you see it with targeted attacks, it's all financially driven for money for the adversary or the company that hired that adversary. And maybe can you speak on so that people can get a bit more familiar with the kind of attacks that that you manage? And uh, maybe can you give a brief few examples of maybe some of the defenses or that you've been working on or some of the projects that you've been working on over these last couple of years? Anything that comes to mind to give the listeners a, a, an example of scale is what I'm looking for, I guess. You know, that you just talked about the average person and 85% of people, uh, 85% of attacks being financial related. But are there 15% of other attacks related to like you said, uh, breach of government data, that level of information? Uh, exactly. So it's mm. uh, corporate information, corporate espionage, government data. But, but here's the interesting thing. Most governments and most corporations, when you have classified information or proprietary or internal very, very sensitive data, most of that information today is still stored on what we call air gap networks. And those are networks that don't have connectivity to the internet. So if you look at a lot of the proprietary formulas for drugs or a lot of the very sensitive information for nuclear power plants or a lot of the classified data for government organizations, most of that is on separate isolated networks. So in order to breach that information, the easiest, simplest method is going back to old school espionage, which is hire somebody pay them a lot of money and have them essentially be an insider threat. So when we're talking about stealing the high-end proprietary information, that's usually not done via computers or hacking from the internet. It's just the Aldrich Ames, the Robert Hansons, uh, those type of folks that you're just flipping a person to physically steal the information for you. But when it comes down to a lot of these attacks, and this is the part that scares folks, is when you look at some of these major data breaches where 500 million records were compromised or close to a billion records were taken, these were not complicated, sophisticated attacks. These were companies that just made simple mistakes, and I could teach anybody in 15 minutes how to pull off any of those attacks. There's public tools out there. There's exploitation tools that are publicly available on the internet. And the problem is companies and individuals are just overlooking the basics. So these companies had servers that were missing patches, contained critical data that wasn't protected. And these attackers were able to get in very, very quickly. On an individual side, it's just use common sense. If you're going to a website and they're telling you an ad pops up when you're at a trusted site, like a news site or an e-commerce site, and an ad pops up that says you can get a new iPad for $39 or 39 pounds uh, if you're over in Europe, does that really make sense? Is somebody really going to be able to give you an iPad for that price? No. So it's a scam. But most people get emotional. They go in and go $39 for a brand new iPad. They click on it. (laughs) And after they click on it, they're going, wait a second. But once you click, it's too late. 
mm-hmm. your system is compromised. It's really that simple and that easy. So from an individual standpoint, it's all about being careful before you click a link, go to a website or open an attachment, think for a second and say, is this worth the risk? And is this worth the exposure? And one of my favorite, favorite tricks that I do when I coach high net worth individuals like Bill Gates and other uh, Fortune 10 individuals, it's simple. Separate out the risk. So what I do and what I coach people on is I have my Windows laptop that I do my work, I create my PowerPoints, I check my email. But when I do a first pass, when I wake up in the morning and I initially check my email or I want to surf the web or do research, I use a separate non-Windows device like an iPhone or an iPad. Two reasons for that. One, most malware targets its Windows not because Windows is more vulnerable, but because Windows has an 88% install base. Second, if I use a non-Windows device and I do get compromised, there's no sensitive data on it, so the impact is low. So I have my laptop that I do my work, I have my iPad that I do initial checking of email and surfing the web. And now by having two devices and separating and reducing the risk gives me a greater chance of being safe and secure. Hmm. I think I remember reading that in the, we'll go on to this in a moment, in the guide, that was one of your pieces of advice about having two different devices. So I think that's some great advice there. Um, I could go into lots of detail. Actually, I'll, I'll ask a quick question just in case you do know the detail of this but are there any specific devices in in the network in the in the universe of whether it's ios or android that are more susceptible to attacks than others in terms of platforms uh right now you got to be careful uh when you say this because it's not a negativity against Mm. the operating system but but as i briefly mentioned but it's worth repeating is windows-based devices so any of your windows devices your surface pro your uh Surface-based devices that have a Windows operating system, because of the install base, most attackers are going to write most of their malware for that operating system. Because if you're trying to break in to the highest number of people possible, you're going to go for the most popular operating system. So right now, today, we would go in and say that probably one of the better operating systems is iPhones and iPads. Most people don't realize this, but in the mobile space, iPhones and iPads are only around 25%. Android, I believe it's 55 to 60% of devices are running Android devices. So when you look at what's going to target, what is an attacker going to go after from a target perspective on laptops, desktops, it's Windows. That's why we say uh, Macs are a little more secure because they have a lo- lower install base. And same thing on portable devices. If 60% of your devices are Android, most of the mobile malware is targeted for Android because of that install base. That's why going with a less popular, less common operating system like an iPad or an iPhone is initially safer. Now, once again, over time, Right. As iPads and iPhones become more popular, that's going to change. But that's the game of the adversary. All operating systems are vulnerable. All operating systems are susceptible, but they're going to try to target the largest install base. So if you go with a less popular device, then there's going to be less malware that can target you. No, that's very, yeah, that's really clear. That's really great advice. Um, so thanks for that. And b- before we go into some of the detail of the guide, 
um, that we'll be discussing in a, in a little bit more detail. It's the I was curious to know whether you are worried uh, about the maybe the generational difference that we're seeing in respect of privacy and security. And I say that this is a, a, a quite a sweeping statement, but I guess there is the narrative there in the media social media, that younger generations don't care about privacy and security as much as older generations. I want to know whether that's something that you worry about, number one, and whether you've seen any, any evidence date from a data perspective to suggest that's true. I, I would say it's true because we have not trained them correctly. I mean, mm. we look at my kids, right? I have a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 15-year-old. And their whole lives, they've had computers. I mean, I think my son, maybe a little later, like 12, 13, but my youngest has had technology her entire life. But here's the scary part. When they were in kindergarten and first grade, we talked that we taught them about don't taking candy from strangers. Don't talk to people you don't know. Don't get into cars you shouldn't. I remember my daughter. When she was in kindergarten, she thought it was funny that when I went to pick her up from school and I went to give her a hug, she started screaming, stranger danger, stranger danger, right? And and let's say, uh, I looked at her, I'm like, sweetie, if daddy got arrested, that would not be funny. And she looks at me and goes, for me, it would, right? And I'm like, wonderful, right? Wait till she starts dating, right? Things are going to get interesting. But the point is, we still teach our kids about physical dangers and physical exposure points. However, I ask my kids this every year. Have you ever been taught in school about cyber safety on how to be careful with your phone, with your other devices? And now we know with the epidemic and all these kids doing remote learning, and I am shocked we are not giving them any lessons in cybersecurity, cyber protection. So yes, they are unaware, but it's because we as parents have given them a device. We haven't taught them about cybersecurity. Schools are doing remote learning and aren't teaching them about cybersecurity. So if you're a kid, what do you think? Oh, this must be safe. Mm -hmm. Because if it wasn't safe and it wasn't secure, my parents or teachers or people that care about me would have told me, and because they didn't, I assume it's okay. So that's the problem that I have is we're basically giving them very, very dangerous devices and dangerous technology, and we are not giving them any guidance to keep them safe, protected, or secure. Hmm. Until now, until this episode, but we're going to until this episode, and that's <laughs> and that's why, and I drive my team crazy because uh, we have so much going on with revamping our business and changing some of our offerings because of COVID and making money. And about a month ago, I woke up and I'm like, okay, with all this online learning, I put together free videos, free resources, and I basically took my entire marketing team for two weeks and said, okay, we got to put all this out there. And they're like, Eric. This is free. You're not making money of this. Why are you taking us away from revenue generating activities? And I always told them, I said, when you work for me, I have a greater mission. I honestly believe my purpose in life was to make cyberspace a safe place to live, work, and raise a family. So if you ask me a question, which is more important, protecting our next generation, protecting kids, or making money, I'm always going to say protecting kids. Now, maybe. That makes me a bad entrepreneur, right? But I really want to keep people safe and really want to get that information out there. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Well, well that sets up a nice transition to this to this guide. So, um, yeah, and just setting this up and speaking from my personal view for a moment. So I saw this guide that you had produced and I thought to myself, oh, wow, like six months have passed in the epidemic-ish so far. And this is the first time I've seen anyone talk about cybersecurity from home. And then I had I had that eureka moment where I was like, oh, no, this is the worst time. This is the best. If you're a hacker, this must be the best time since you mentioned maybe 2010 because I'm assuming there are more vulnerabilities now than there have been for the past decade. And do correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming it was that thought process that triggered this. You must be sitting there thinking, this is one of the most vulnerable times for companies to be remote working because there's no governance in place. Yeah, you, you're spot on. I, I call two th- well, I call 2020 a lot of things, and I'll uh, I'll keep some of them to myself. But uh, I, I basically say it is the perfect storm of cybersecurity because j- just real quick, you had companies literally overnight had to support a remote workforce. So when you're in an office, most people don't realize. You have firewalls, you have intrusion detection. I mean, you have all this tech. When you're in a physical office, when you're surfing the web or you're sending or receiving email, at most companies, there are seven to nine different security devices that you have to go through. Seven to nine different cyber virtual bodyguards that are protecting you and keeping you safe. Now that you're working from home, Many people are using their old home laptop that was never meant for business, their home wireless that wasn't secure, and now all their systems are directly accessible from the internet. So it created these huge exposures for adversaries to go after. And then you layer on top of it, one of the most favorite things for an attacker is fear. If Mm -hmm. I can get you fearful and afraid, you're going to click on things that you normally shouldn't. And I think we could say that two words we can definitely describe 2020 is illogical logic and fear. I can almost guarantee if I sent out an email to anybody that had the subject line, five of your coworkers were infected with COVID and the body said, click this link to see if you were in contact with these individuals. Not only would this have happened three months ago, but now in light of the president of the United States getting COVID, 
fear is so much higher than it ever was. If I send that email out, you can guarantee people are clicking on that link without mm-hmm. thinking. So this created the perfect storm for adversaries to exploit and take advantage of just about anybody. Mm-hmm. You, you said uh, you used the phrase as you were talking. Um, I think you said once uh, once you click, it's too late. That's just the perfect description, I think, of what's happening at the moment. And also, I mean, that's a great name for a book. So I'm going to write that one down as well. Once you click, it's too late. I think that's the way. I mean, we've I've been there. Maybe you haven't, but I've been there. Where even you know someone that's tech savvy and uses a lot of these different platforms and systems and works on the internet i've still clicked things like the things you've just described through curiosity curiosity through fear and then you have that moment as soon as you click it where you know like, when you have that moment to yourself where you're like oh no I've, I've made a mistake there so that's really interesting uh that you say that and i imagine there are a lot of people out there receiving emails like that right now as we're talking yeah and, and, and just jumping back into the previous advice and what's in the uh resources i put together is what i've learned is telling people not to do something, it doesn't work, right? I can tell a CEO, don't click on this email. They're going to if they think it's a client. I can (laughs) tell individuals or parents, don't click on a link. And if they think it's about their child's safety or their safety, they're going to click on it every single day. So this advice that a lot of security people say where just don't click on links in email, don't click on attachments. To me, it's silly because it's not practical. That's why I love my advice of have a separate device. My parents, my friends, I all tell them to buy a separate device that doesn't have anything sensitive on it and use that device to surf the web and check email. So this whole idea of a second device now, it lets you do what you naturally want to do, which is click on the link because you're going to, but it sets up an environment where you can now do it in a safe, secure manner. I I was just joking last night with my wife. She gets a text that says, your Netflix password has expired. And like she starts freaking out and she's ready to start. And I'm like, stop. I said, honey, look at the link in the text. And it was like ABQ. It was like some really weird URL. And I'm like, just think through this for a minute. Really just slow down and think through it. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. I said, now take your iPad, which doesn't have any sensitive data or any of your accounts. And just to show you it's a scam, click on it. And she clicked on on the iPad. It went to some bizarre site. And (laughs) the fact is it was malicious, but because I trained her, to still click, but do it on a separate device, she was safe. But if I wasn't home, she would have right, went right in on her laptop and probably would have gave away all our credentials. <laughs> well, actually, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, thought. That's, uh, I, I won't go off on too much of a tangent. But I was thinking to myself that you appear on podcasts, you release guides, you, you, you know, you're well known in this space, having done it for so long. Does that make you, as a known figure, a point of attack or a point of interest for hackers? It, does it become a game for them? I know you, there's probably only so much you can reveal in terms of information about that, but is that something that happens? At, at some level, it does. But one thing I've done is I've really as much as possible. I mean, I'll I'll talk at a high level about my family because they're important, mm. but I don't give a lot of details. I won't give names, things like that. And, yeah. and, and what I've done is if you look at all my social, it's all for business. So I don't do anything personal on any of my social, and I really try to separate out 
my work life and my personal life. So yes, I could be targeted and people can come after me, but I, I try to keep some barrier that's out there. But the real good news is, and I mean good news in a bad news type of way, is today's adversaries are not really targeting individuals anymore. They're just going for the low-hanging fruit. that They want, with ransomware, they just want to make $5 million. So they're going to send out ransomware to a million people and whoever clicks on it, they don't care because they're going to collect $50 from a million people and make their $50 million. So it's not like it was eight or 10 years ago where they're targeting specific people or specific individuals. Now it's all about money and they're just going to put it out there and whoever clicks, they're going to take $50 from the, the most vulnerable. Breaking, breaking your guide down for our listeners, it, it's, in, it's uh, broken down into five different areas or chapters. One is secure your wireless. The second is about securing commercial cloud services. The third is two-factor, implementing two-factor authentication. The fourth is about updating your operating systems. And the fifth is on using separate computers or devices, as you've said. Um, you've already touched on using co- separate computers. And like I said, I'll link to the guide so people can find out all the information. But are there any of those other areas which you think are more important than others and that people can go away and do it immediately, even after listening to this, this episode, that would make them more secure? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they can definitely download the guide for free if they just go to onlinedanger.com. So I don't want to take away from that. But but yep. the way I think about the guide when I wrote it was really sort of three things, mindset, foundation, and hygiene. So the first thing, and this is an easy one, but a very hard one, is for all the listeners, right now I want to change your mindset. You are a target and cybersecurity is your responsibility. If you can recognize that you will be a target and no one's going to save you, right? Microsoft and Apple are not going to save you. You need to accept responsibility. If you get that down, you're so much farther ahead from everybody else. But the number one reason why people click on links and do things that are dangerous is because they don't think they're a target. So as soon as you recognize that people are going to target you because they're not trying to steal a million dollars from one person, they're trying to steal a dollar from a million people. So you're going to be a target. That's the first one. Second is foundational. Make sure you're setting yourself up for success. Don't use an outdated operating system. Don't have an open wireless. Don't do things that make it easy for the adversary. Update your computers, patch your systems, be careful. And then the third one is the hygiene is set up two-factor authentication, set up account notification. This is probably one of the biggest recommendations is when you're looking at banking, e-commerce, social media, the good news is they all have security built in. The bad news is it's not turned on by default. So spend five minutes going in under security and adding in account notification. What this means is when somebody tries to transfer money out of your account, when somebody tries to change your password on social media, when somebody tries to purchase something from e-commerce, you will get a text notification And if you respond within five minutes, you can cancel the transaction. Now, yes, is it a little bit of an inconvenience that now you're getting additional text pop up? Yes, but isn't it better 
than the alternative. So we need to recognize that there's going to be a little bit of changes in how we behave in cyberspace to keep ourselves secure. But account notification with two-factor authentication is some of the best things you can do to protect and secure yourself. That's some great advice. And one thing I want to touch on a little bit just before we move on and uh, wrap up some of the podcast today, um, there's so much information there for our listeners to go back and listen to. I'll probably even turn that part into a, a soundbite because I think there's some useful, useful advice in there. But I'm really interested to know if if and how a lot of this applies to co-working spaces and things like cafes as well. So all of what you've just said applies to working at home and will protect you when you work from a different environment. But are there more vulnerabilities when you're working in co-working or shared environments? And if so, maybe what are they? Yeah, so the the two biggest exposures in a co-working environment, the first one is a non-tech, but I see it all the time, is the old school shoulder surfing where somebody can look over your shoulder, they can get access. I still see this at coffee shops where people will have their laptop fully turned on, logged in, and they'll go to the restroom for five or 10 minutes. And I'm like, if somebody was targeting you and they wanted access to your information, they could walk up, stick in a USB, copy your data in two or three minutes and walk away and you would never know it. So it goes back to just some of that common sense of if you're in an open shared environment, recognize you're a target and lock your system. Get those screensavers so unless somebody is directly looking at the monitor, they can't see anything from an angle and just some of that basic protection. The other big one is public wireless. All your information is going unencrypted and somebody can sit there and capture all of that data very, very easily. So you want to go in and either get a free or they're like, $5 a month. They're very cheap as they're called VPNs, SSL VPNs, and just install it on your phone and your computer. I have them installed on all my devices. And whenever I connect to a public wireless, it automatically initiates, automatically sets up. And now what's happening is all my data going over that public wireless is now encrypted, protected, and secure. So if you're using open public wireless or shared space, you definitely want to use a encrypted VPN to protect your data. And are you able to briefly, maybe in a kind of layman's terms description for our listeners, describe what um, encryption is? So when, when the information is being sent over a network, what would be an example of unencrypted information and then encrypted perhaps? So for example, if you're in a coffee shop, or a public area, and you connect to the wireless with your phone, and you start texting people, or you start sending pictures or information, I could sit there with a free sniffer. And once again, I don't want to encourage anyone to commit a crime, but if you just look up sniffer in your app or on the internet, these are free, you can do that. And you'd be shocked of how easy it is, but just recognize that if you're doing that, and depending on where you live, you could be committing a crime, but you can see all the pictures, all the information, all the data, everything that that person is sending. So just by having a VPN, a virtual private network app, what now that does is that scrambles all of that. So now if you do have somebody sitting there with a sniffer, all they would get is random data or garbage. They wouldn't be able to see your information. 
see your pictures or see your data. And this is exactly what happens when you see these cases where very, very rich people have uh, inappropriate pictures, right? I, I don't want to go in and say any names, but let's just say your name might be Jeffrey Bezos, right? Maybe something like that, right? And you might have a girlfriend and you might be sending her uh, nude pictures of yourself. And you don't want that to be public, right? But if you're not careful and you're sending it over public communications, that information can become accessible. So it's just a very quick, easy, simple way to protect yourself, protect your privacy, and protect any embarrassment or blackmailing that might happen in the future. Excellent. Yeah, thank you for that example. And um, just before we wrap up, I, I'm kind of curious about the future too. So we took taking the conversation full circle, you're constantly learning and keeping alert to new types of threats. And this isn't said to, out of kind of to provoke fear for our listeners, it's more out of curiosity. Are there any new types of threats that you see on the horizon, you know, now into the future, apart from the things we've just discussed that are happening now? that you maybe can give some indication about what you're working on to protect us from? So anything new that's, um, yeah, that's concerning you and, and that you're able to speak about? Yeah, so in terms of new threats, I, I always laugh because they're anticlimactic because it's, it's unimpressive. They're not technical. But the big threats we're seeing out there now are people using telephone and texting to target individuals. Once again, I had a family member last week get a phone call and they do caller ID spoofing. So it shows up as Apple and they say, yes, we're from the Apple data center and your Apple ID has been compromised and we need to work with you to change your password. And once again, sounds legitimate, seems legitimate. It's a scam. So mm. we're seeing attackers try any possible method. So it's not just email and hacking servers. They realize that people are the most vulnerable link in the whole equation. So they're going to target them, whether it's in person, whether it's via phone, whether it's via non-tech methods to try to exploit or gather that information. So just remember, anytime you're communicating with somebody, via any mechanism, paranoia is your friend and don't assume that they are who they say they are because we're seeing attackers get very, very aggressive in how they target individuals. Mm. That was really interesting and I hadn't really thought about it until now, but I assume that we're going to see more of that because with people working from home, you know, hackers are going to be aware of the fact that more people working from home means more opportunity to call people at home and uh, I guess isolate them perhaps. Um, so to being alert to calls and text messages on your, uh, on your home devices is something I imagine that we're going to see more of. I'm actually just thinking to myself, that's definitely something I've found myself over these last six months. Exactly. This, this new environment where we're essentially limiting communication, isolating, locking down. I mean, a lot of countries are very aggressive in the lockdown We're we're so desperate. We don't realize it for human interaction. That if somebody calls on the phone or texts us, we're going to be much more open because we're so needing that communication. And attackers understand psychology. They understand human behavior, and they're going to exploit it any possible way they can. Hmm. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. And there's been some great advice in this episode. Um, I, I, I know that uh, you have to go very shortly. So I'll just say thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've been very generous and given us so much great advice. 
Um, I'll link to the guide in the show notes. But before I let you go, is there anywhere else that you want to let our listeners know where they can find you, any links that you want to provide and any final piece of advice? First, just thank you for having me on the show, Scott. It was a pleasure. I love talking about cybersecurity. Um, most of the resources I have are on onlinedanger.com onlinedanger.com. I have free resources. I have links to my book uh, that you can uh, get. If you just pay for shipping and handling, I'll give you the book for free. Also, I'm a lot on social media. So any platform, Dr. Eric Cole, D-R-E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E, I put out a lot of free content and I want to help you uh, and provide information to make cyberspace a safe place to live, work, and raise a family. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks again and thanks for being a leader of the cyber defenders and for securing the internet for us all take care thank you subtle results still you but with fewer lines Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.